0: Welcome to the heart of sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 network. Ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's, it's like a sports cornucopia right now. We had the masters last weekend. Baseball, basketball, soccer. I know you're impressed, right? I am very impressed. And I didn't even mispronounce it. Normally, if I use a big word, I say it wrong. Should I ask
1: you to spell it now?
0: uh, No oh look look on your face was precious right there it was like i was thinking about it for a second do i really want to do this on the air
1: (laughs) the sad thing is you were trying to say should i boast and throw it in his face or do i dare (laughs) risk it Mm, no
0: i'm not going to do that (laughs) Uh, the things that show up when we go on the air on the radio show how you doing this week man i i'm doing fine Uh you were at some games last week. You're going to the Phillies game tomorrow night. What was your sport of the week if we were going to open the show right now?
1: Well, the sport of the week is probably the union. Okay. Right? I mean, gonna... we're we're about to have two guests on from uh we're gonna have JP Delecamere on at 405 and then we're gonna have Jack Jack Elliott at 420. But even if they weren't going to be on, clearly that game against Caprisa was was the game of the week if you're a sports fan in Philadelphia. It 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 just You know, you couldn't have asked for a better way to come back to Philadelphia and get ready for the season than they did.
0: You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to to JP and Jack about it and what, what they thought in terms of playing with it. I was saying to you before the show, I think that's probably a better tune up than a, uh, preseason game. We'll see. They've got a lot to start with on, on Sunday night. We'll get to that in a second. You want to talk a little Sixers before we get JP on the line? You want to talk defense or you want to talk offense? Sixers yeah apparently if you play defense you don't have to play offense that's the message that i get out of people because they play defense we don't have to worry about anything else now the defense sort of failed them the other night when they almost lost fourth quarter sort of brooklyn nets um you asked me before the show which will happen first uh all the nets big three on the court together or george hill on the court for the sixers i think george hill uh, you don't think so? Uh, what's your thoughts on George Hill and then what you saw this week against for the Sixers? Every time I see George Hill on the bench, I
1: am—I have this hope because all it means to me, if George Hill can do nothing other than stand upright, then he's taking the place in the rotation in the playoffs of Mike Scott.
0: <laughs>
1: that every That's time the I bar see, is now it doesn't matter. I just don't, you know, I, I, I used to like Mike Scott. I just don't think Mike Scott has it. And to replace him in the rotation is something that's very important for the playoffs. Mike, he is so inconsistent in, in every aspect of the game. And I just, you look, you can you compress the number of players you're playing in the playoffs anyway. So it'll be interesting to say he ha, he see how he integrates, but they need to get him integrated soon. He needs to to be able to anticipate where passes, where people are going to be. And you can't do that no matter how many years you're playing, unless you've played with certain people.
0: Seven nets were out the other night. The Sixers had a 22-point lead that they almost coughed up, held on to win 123-117. They're now one and a half games up on Brooklyn with the tiebreaker in hand. They play the Clippers tonight. What's your feel of this team? Joel Embiid continues to be dominant. Ben Simmons continues to be Ben Simmons. Uh, your thoughts on what we're seeing and the emergence of Furkan Korkmaz <laughs> the other night you gave me an over under 16 points for him to score uh when uh and bead was out and I was like well if they hope to win he has to and he did
1: he he has these games he has games of promise he's a perfect guy to come off the bench it's not a guy that you want to plug into your starting rotation and think that he's going to do it he's going to have games where he gets hot and It looks like those follow the team having confidence like Furcon fits into the flow, but he is not somebody who's going to be able to dictate the game. And, you know, he has these moments of 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 defense that are very impressive.
0: He does. Jay, Why don't we leave the basketball talk there? Why don't you bring on our soccer guest? We always love when we get to bring him on.
1: Well, it, it also means that it's soccer season, and who better to have on at the beginning of soccer season than one of the voices of soccer and J.P. Delacamera? J.P., how are you?
0: I'm hey good, guys. How are you? We're fantastic. We get to hear your voice. Uh, how excited are you to get back to calling games?
2: Uh, I can't wait to get back to normal you know first of all uh, calling games is part I think of being normal it's great that fans are being allowed in on a limited basis I, I noticed it the other night when I watched the game on television you no know, you can hear it it's it's the real crowd it's the real drums it's the real cheering and the real booing and and we've missed that uh, I'm hoping that sometime this summer we'll get back to full capacity and, and then only then I guess we'll be back to normal, but we're all anxious for the start of the season and a return to major league soccer.
0: I have a broadcaster question. Players get training camp in the preseason. How do you get ready for a new season as a broadcaster?
2: Uh, nobody's ever asked me that. That's a great question. Um, I think it's like when somebody says to me, how much homework do you do for a game? And I always say, I can't even tell you because the homework never stops. Right. So if I watched, Two hours of television the other night of of the Union game and another two hours of the Columbus game. That's four hours in my prep that I don't even count because I'd be watching those games anyway, right? So I, I think that you know whether you're watching the Premier League, whether you're watching Syria, ah, uh, whatever it is, soccer is now really a 12-month business. Um, you know, men's game, women's games. There's always always something to watch. So I think that you just try to stay in the mix, right? And You know, the MLS offseason is similar to, what, hot stove in baseball. Like, we're all waiting to see what, you know, what teams are going to do. And even now, I think, take it to a different level, guys, how many people are now following what Brendan Aronson is doing at Red Bull Salzburg and Mark McKenzie with his club in Belgium? Like, we're all interested in that.
1: Well, not only do you have to prepare for a season of MLS – but for the casual fan, they turn on the game the other night and they go, wait a second, the Union's playing. That's not on the MLS schedule. What's going on? How, how hard is it to not only to prepare and do your homework for the MLS games, but for this tournament as well?
3: Yeah, well,
2: this tournament is, is all Fox. And so far, if you're talking Concacaf Cap Champions League, I haven't had to do any of those games so far. So I haven't had to prep you know, for Concacaf Cap Champions League, but I do know enough about it. It's unfortunate in a way that Fox has the rights. It's good and it's bad. It's good for the country because everybody gets to see it. But CONCACAF controls everything. So the union could not put that game on television. I don't believe they could put it on radio. They couldn't do streaming. You know, there's there's so many restrictions because CONCACAF owns it. So, uh, but it's it was fun to watch the game the other night. You know, I'm watching like everybody else as a fan. And that was very impressive. Not only the second leg guys because they scored the four goals, but that first leg in Saprissa, huge. I mean, that really set the table for all of the MLS teams, right? Because you could lose the tournament on the first leg. And that's what Real Esteli did the other day against Columbus, right? When you lose 4 nothing in the first leg at home, there's no miracle comeback, guys. It's over, right? And that's why last night, that's not the team you're going to see on Sunday that you saw last night. So if you studied up on Columbus to prepare you for Sunday, throw those notes away.
1: Yeah, but see, the, the, you just pointed out that you didn't call the game. But my point was, you're still preparing. You you, you still know everything that's going on yeah. with the and how that's going to impact what's going to happen next, which is not right. only do you have to worry about that tournament, that this was kind of a, a heightened preseason event that gets you ready for what's coming Sunday, which is the union battling in right. their first home game, their first regular season game against right. the MLS cup champions.
2: Yeah. How great a matchup is that, by the way, supporter shield winners uh, versus the MLS cup champions. So they played twice last year, right? Thomas won them both. Uh, both games were close, you know, decided on, you know, a play or two. Uh, but also, when you think back to that, both of those games were in Columbus. You know, it was a quirky schedule last year. You know, nothing was balanced about the schedule. How many times did, did our team play against New England? And they didn't even play some of the teams, right? I don't think I don't think the Union played last year against, at least during the regular season anyway. I don't, I don't remember Atlanta or Nashville. There were, there were so many teams that they didn't play, and yet they got so tired of facing New England. I think this year it'll be, uh, but just two games in total and then there are some teams in the east you'll play three times and some two but it'll be a more more of a balanced schedule certainly than last year and and the hope and the goal is to get in all 34 games.
0: You know, you mentioned the people they're going to follow Aronson and McKenzie. Can you talk a little bit about this year's team, some of the changes in personnel? Sure. Fontana, we saw him against Supreza play well. Um, what should fans expect from this team? There's a youth movement, some new players here. What should we yeah. look for?
2: Well, I think on the on the positive side, you've got the coach of the year running things. Uh, front office seems to be on board with everything that's going on. Ernst Tanner will always bring in quality players, so I, I think from that standpoint, you're you're on track for success. You've got the best goalkeeper in the league, and Andre Blake, and I think that, you know. From the Philadelphia Union standpoint, it, it sounds boring if you say, you know, they win on defense or they're built defensively first, but that defense leads to their offense, right? So, you know, last year they had the best goal differential in MLS plus 24, and that's because defense was outstanding, but also, you know, they scored a ton of goals, right? They didn't have that one balance, one score, one individual score like some teams did, but you could look at Shabilko had eight goals, Santos had eight goals, and other guys contributed to the cause. But uh, Aronson, big loss. McKenzie, big loss. At this point, they didn't replace them with like-for-like players. Uh, McKenzie's being replaced pretty much by whoever you want to say, uh, either Glesnes or Elliott, right, because they had a rotation of three center backs last year. So it's not a like-for-like in that McKenzie was a different kind of a defender. Uh, great speed, recovery speed coming back. So you knew that if, if a ball is played over the top, he could get there, right? And the same with Ray Gattis. Nobody's talking about the loss of Ray. Uh, Ray and, and McKenzie, their recovery speed was incredible. Not just the speed, though, but the willingness to hunt down a ball. Uh, Glessness and Elliott are different types of defenders, quality center backs, good with their feet. So they be, they will still be strong, in my opinion, Uh out of that center back position. And I think Stuart Finley will be a, a big addition to them, and I think they'll have a rotation of three for future CONCACAF Champions League games and when you start to play the three games in eight or nine, eight or nine nights. I think uh, to look forward to, I think Baizo looks like he's going to be a good replacement for Ray uh, without minimizing the impact of Ray both on and off the field. But I think Baizo is is looking very good in the early going looking confident. I think he knows that the job is his to lose, and and that sometimes makes a difference with players. I think Leon Flock has come in and looks like he could be a quality player, whether he starts or comes off the bench. So that was one other new addition. I think Fontana is going to get more minutes this year. I can't say where he's going to play, right? We've seen him play with Shabilko up top, out of necessity because Sergio Santos has been injured. And look at the job Jamiro Montero did in the number 10 spot the other day. So who knows what's going to happen? But to me, Montero's in for a special kind of a year. I think that he's finally going to get the just recognition in the league. I think the players know how good he is and coaches know. But I think you don't hear as many people talking about him as you hear talk about some of the other quality midfielders in the league. So I think this is Jamiro's year to get league-wide notice. And i got to tell you one other thing. Jose Martinez looks even better than he did last year. I think Jose Martinez becomes the best at his position. If he wasn't already last year, I think he becomes that this year in MLS. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. I don't think either of these teams, by the way, that you see on Sunday are the finished product. I think both teams are still looking for additional players, and those additional players... Should fit into the puzzle for both Philadelphia and with Columbus.
1: For Philadelphia, do you anticipate that those fill-in pieces could be from their youth program? Could could we see because you know for the people that have an Aronson jersey, yeah, th- there's the possibility that they can wear it again. Is, you mean is, a Paxton Harrington jersey? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um
2: I I see Paxton actually getting a lot of minutes. I do. Uh based on my conversation. I didn't have a conversation with Jim about Paxton specifically this year, but I had asked him at the end of last year if he foresaw a situation where, you know, where he would get some minutes, and he said absolutely. Uh and he did play him in, in the preseason. But you know, when I talk about new additions, uh we know about the players that they currently have, right? So you know, whoever you want to say, whether you want to say, you know, McGlynn, you want to say Sullivan, you want to say Aronson, whatever you want to say, um, DeVries, who's out right now uh, with an injury, I think all those guys are going to get minutes. You're going to play, you know, three games in nine nights or three games in eight, CONCACAF Champions League, Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. So I think, the, I think the minutes are coming. But when I talk about additional pieces for both teams, I'm talking about other players, whether it's uh, trades, transfer market, in the case of the union um I can't recall can you guys think of a trade that they made you know within the league it's, it's mostly transfers you know that they bring in they they managed to bring in the players that even though Montero had a had a very good price tag by the way people don't talk about that you know high price tag considering um that's a bargain Jose Martinez bargain Kai Wagner bargain these are players that people didn't hear about. So you gotta congratulate Ernst Tanner and Chris Albright and others to be able to find these players at competitive prices, right? Because the union model has not been about signing uh, you know, Carlos Vela, Joseph Martinez, um Petey Martinez who's no longer in the league. But you know, they're not about spending ten million dollars on one player. You know, they're about developing players, selling players like they did with Aronson and with McKenzie and rebuilding that youth development system. When people talk about academies and youth development, and Richie Graham should get a lot of praise for this too, they talk about the union first. You know, FC Dallas gets a mention, and there are other clubs, but they talk union first. And look what they've done. The quality starts that they give their players, the quality minutes, and it resulted in two players that, if you had told me that Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson would be starting right now in Europe. If you had told me that like two years ago and, and told me, even two years ago, and told me what the price tag would be, I would say you guys were dreaming. But that's how much those guys improved. And McKenzie was always a guy with potential. Same with Aronson. I mean, when we were talking about Austin trustee, Tony Miola would say to me, trustee's good, but you guys should be talking about McKenzie. McKenzie's the real deal. And sure enough, you know, Mark went from... Uh, you know that season where he had some injuries to becoming a best 11 to become coming a regular over in Belgium so and I think when other players see this and they're able to watch highlights of games and they see that their teammate from a year ago is now playing in Europe they know that that could be an avenue for them as well I think that helps in overall recruiting
1: well, this this is our soccer day and after you, as you know, we're gonna have Jack Elliott on in a couple of minutes. But before we let you go, we gotta ask, is this can this team be better than last year's team?
2: I think that if you ask me that today, they're not better today because you know, you can't really replace Mackenzie Aronson and you know in game one, right? But I think I think they're so good defensively at the start, they're so good that they should be very competitive in the East. You know, They should be a contender. You know what? You know what's interesting, guys? I looked. I don't want to take away from Jack's time. But I looked, and, and I have a lot of respect for the people on MLSsoccer.com. And they've got Columbus. If you look at all the, the pundits there, they've got Columbus either first or second, as I remember. And with Philadelphia, they had them. Nobody had them for first, as I remember. I think the highest anyone had them for was third, maybe some, some had them as low as seventh. I don't see that. Uh, but I think that's bulletin board material for them. I think the players will see that. I think the coaching staff will see that. And, and they'll always realize chip on the shoulder that they don't get enough respect for what they've done. So I, I think that in mid season and, and when they've got the team that they actually have for the rest of the year, I think that they will be as good as last year, if not slightly better. Once you get all the pieces.
0: JP, we can't wait to hear your voice on the call. Look forward to talking to you throughout the season. Always appreciate you giving us a few minutes. You have a great one.
2: Anytime, guys. Tell Jack how well he and the team played uh, Wednesday. I want to say last night, but it was Wednesday night and also in that first leg in
0: Saprissa. We will pass that on. You have a great day. Thanks. You too. See you. Jeff, JP's always so much fun. I, He's just. He's so good at what he does. I can't,
1: I can't wait to hear his call. And I also can't wait to actually see him in the, in the stadium sometime soon. I mean, how exciting is it that we're going to be able to get back and see soccer again?
0: Yeah. You know, we had, we had talked to him when fans were out of the stadium and when he wasn't even in the stadium calling games and you could hear, that was the first thing he said that the fans that were real fans in the stadium, the drums were real drums in the stadium. And, you know, you, you think you miss it when you don't have fans in the stadium with the soundtrack in the background or the background noise, but then you hear the fans back in the stadium, the legit boos, the drums in soccer, the the cheers and the holding their breath. And it, it's what makes sports as anxiety ridden as it is.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and let's face it for Philadelphia and especially the union, having that sons of Ben section, it, it makes it's part of the fabric of that team at this point. I think you want to be in the Sons of ben.
0: You love that section. We go well, to the stadium and that's like the first place you look. And
1: I do, but you know one of the rules, right? You have to stand the whole game. Exactly. You wouldn't be able to do that. And and, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's why you set me up just now.
4: You're
0: welcome.
1: Oh, anytime.
0: Uh, we talked a little bit with him about the surprising game. Nothing you, but accommodate. Were you surprised <laughs> with... Uh, how well the the team played actually let's let's leave it there let's bring on let's ask jack let, let's ask jack one of the mm-hmm. guys who was so dominant in uh in those games against saprisa uh philadelphia union defender jack elliott jack how you doing today i'm good how are you doing guys Uh oh, we're fantastic we got to watch you guys beat up on saprisa a little bit the last two games what was it like uh international guy to, to get to play in some CONCACAF games
3: yeah it was a, it was a fun experience um obviously without without fans there it was it was a bit different it would have been nice to see that place of fans but in some ways i think that helped us um but oh, it was a good experience to play international competition
1: how excited are you to have the fans back in the stadium uh it's
3: it's amazing i mean it's such a big boost even with the a few thousand we're allowed in right now, but hopefully towards the end of the year everyone will be be allowed back in and you know, have the place rocking again and those are the best
0: the best nights. So we were intrigued by your story as much as your play on the field. We we gotta ask, how does a kid born in London, raised in England, end up recruited to play at West Virginia and then with the Philadelphia Union? That seems like a fun story.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, it was just
3: uh it wasn't really Planning to come to the US to go to college at all, or didn't really look into it. Um, And I was playing amateur football for a men's league um, while I was in school, and I just happened to be playing one game. um, One of the assistant coaches of West Virginia at the time was also playing in the game and saw me playing and liked liked the look of me, and and then. you know, it just sort of snowboarded from there, and it was, as soon as I got the the opportunity to to go over to West Virginia, and I took it and didn't look back. And then played a few, played three and a half years there, and ended up getting drafted to Philadelphia Union, and you know <laughs> managed to to do quite well over the past few years.
1: So just to be clear, as, as a kid growing up in England, you didn't have a map that had circled on it. West Virginia is where you eventually thought you would end up?
3: <laughs> no,
1: I didn't, funnily enough. Well, so then you go from West Virginia to Philadelphia, which probably couldn't be any different for you. What was what was it like for you to go from that college experience where you were to come into a city like Philadelphia that had such a rabid fan base?
3: Yeah, it's- it was it was a a change and um, um, obviously going from college soccer to professional was was a jump and the the fan base and and the facilities and stadiums that we were playing in were certainly a uh, something I had to get used to and um, all of that kind of stuff um, but fitting into the city I think living in London that. That helped me to to adapt in Philadelphia pretty quickly, almost quicker than I did in Morgantown, West Virginia. So, um, yeah, I think it, it, it was a it was a transition, certainly on the playing aspect, um, but I think I settled in relatively quickly.
0: You know, you talk about the differences from over in the UK and West Virginia and Philadelphia, I had seen, I guess it was right after you went to Philadelphia, you were talking about some of the differences between UK and US soccer. And and you said something I don't often hear an athlete talk about. Uh, I feel kids here don't get to play enough unstructured football, which in some ways can help to develop a player in different ways than structured coaching does. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I found that fascinating because that's something that Jeff talks about regularly, about kids making their own rules and learning how to work things out what's your opinion on on that with that quote
3: yeah i think
0: that sort of uh that sort
3: of football really developed the sort of player that i am i, I mean i played i played everywhere and i played in parks i played in uh pavement cages played in astroturf cages had um 11 v 11 in a in a five side court so I mean, you learn all sorts of things from playing in large spaces to playing in very tight spaces against a lot of people. And I think that's something that is useful um, for kids to develop. Uh, and obviously, I think it's a bit easier in in the UK to, to do those things because, I mean, football's the, the main sport and you go out at lunchtime and everyone's playing football. Whereas here I don't I don't know what it's like at lunchtime, but there's so many other sports about that I would imagine football isn't isn't the first one that, that is a go to. Um but I think it's a it's a good way to develop all sorts of thinking abilities and technical abilities.
0: Jeff, you're on
1: mute. Jack, you, you you brought up lunchtime. We were going to save this question to the end, but now we're going to ask it since you brought up lunchtime. Fish and you want fish and chips from London, or you want a Philly cheesesteak?
3: <laughs> Don't do this to me. <laughs> uh, the hard
1: hitting questions, huh?
3: Yeah, getting to the the nitty gritty now. Um, that's a tough one. All right, well, one. we'll
1: let you off the hook, but I know that you have <laughs> you have done interviews where you have said that you have yet to find a really good fish and chips place in the United States. Have you found one yet?
3: Uh, I've heard of a few, but I haven't found it yet. I mean, I need to get out and look again. Last year, I've been not really not looking, so this year, maybe I'll, I'll get there.
0: We'll have to try and find you a good fish and chips place. I, I did want to ask you last season, um, you know, you get to play for Coach Curtin. He said of you, Elliot has the talent and quality to play in any league in the world. Uh, he said you become much more aggressive over time here. Do you feel that way? Do you enjoy pressing the action?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think I've got a lot more uh, confidence in in my, my abilities to, to press a game and, to, to press forward and not be too worried about the in particular speed and speed in behind because I, I feel like I can deal with it most of the time obviously there's certain certain occasions where you have to think about it a bit more but I think in general I, I feel comfortable now and in, in my body and uh, my abilities to to win the ball higher up and play high pressure how we like to play
1: you know, one of the things that we notice about athletes is that each year they kind of work on something to evolve or improve their game. In the past, you've worked on your your aggressiveness. What What did you work on in this off season to take you to whatever the next level is for you, or what your expectations are as the union try to move forward towards an MLS Cup championship?
3: Yeah, I think this this off season I, I spent a lot of time in the gym, and I think that's helped me and feeling very confident and comfortable in in what I did in the off season. And, you know, I think that set me up for, for the season so far.
0: What's it like to play for coach Curtin? We've gotten to speak to him many times. Uh, obviously there's what the, the outside public sees as a player. What's it like to have him as your leader?
3: He's a, he's a great coach and he knows how to, to help us all out and um, get us motivated, and he—he's the kind of guy that gives us the the confidence to play. Um, I mean, he—he—he he, he doesn't get onto you for making mistakes and trying things, uh, and he just—you know—he—he he gives gives us the confidence to to play the way that we play and press forward and play one v one at times and. You know, um, I think that's, that's amazing. And I think, um, yeah, he's a a good coach and really inspires confidence through us.
1: In your game the other day, uh, there was no scoring in the first half in in the Saprissa game. And then you guys came out immediately, scored and just kept the pressure on. Who's the guy, if there is one? Who's the guy in the locker room who keeps everybody steady and, and keeps things moving and does what they need to do to kind of to kind of press people?
3: Yeah, no, I think it's a, that's a team mentality that we have, and I think everyone takes it upon themselves to to do that, and that's what makes us successful. And it's not just one guy that that really wins a game for us anytime even though we have those individuals that can it's it's a team it's a team game for us and our system works best um when we're playing as a team and playing with energy as a team and i think that's that's what we did the other night and we came out in the second half and i mean we wanted to just just wanted to win the game and i think that showed
0: well, Jack, we can't wait to see you guys back out on the pitch this weekend as you start the season. Uh, look forward to all the success on the field and thank you for giving us a few minutes to talk about everything. Uh, good luck with everything.
3: Thank you. Thank you, guys.
0: No problem. Anytime. Jeff, it, it's, it's got to be exciting, like night before Christmas or Hanukkah for, you know, when you're starting the season, the the butterflies, the new season, every everything coming into it. They've got some different players on the roster. We talked Why?
1: Are they getting NBA. presents?
0: Okay. That was <laughs> wonderful. I'm <laughs> glad you could add that to the show. We talk a lot of sports. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, it, How excited are you as a fan and then as a player, what do you think it's like for them? We ask them all the time. What do you think it's like for them right now? It's so close.
1: Well, you know what? Normally I'd say they probably do have those butterflies and the excitement and then also kind of the edge for, you know, not going to where they thought they could go. I mean, after getting the supporter shield, I think there was a real hope that they were going to bring home that MLS Cup. And and I think that they have that desire to do it, but they've already gotten to get the rust off by playing against the Prisa in those two games and playing against real competition. And now they're going to, you know, it, it's it, it's like an NFL game and then having a whole preseason and then playing, you know, the Super Bowl favorite. That's what they're doing. Only this time, they didn't have to play a bunch of meaningless games. They played games that mattered already. And I think that's gonna make a big difference about how they start off and
0: the butterflies are kind of gone already. And JP mentioned three games in nine days. So that'll be a a challenge for this team. Jeff, why don't we hit a quick break? When we come back, we'll be joined by Dave Parker shortly. So uh, let's stick with it, come back. Or Jeff, we'll stay on the air, no break. We'll just keep talking. Okay, whatever. Uh let, let's go to some baseball talk. So you your concern level about the Phillies before we get to Dave Parker. Uh tell me uh, where are you right now after the start of the season. This team is 6 and 6, 1 and 5 on the road, 5 and 1 at home. Your thoughts on what things are right now.
1: Uh I I just, you know, people got very high on the team very quickly. The team is 6 and 6. It's not that big a deal. You still have Three really good starters at the top of your rotation. I still worry about whether Anderson and Moore are the answer. Is four and five, but I wouldn't panic yet just because they did they went on this skid, especially against the Mets. Um, I think that what they're going to do against the Cardinals, that are a really good offensive team this weekend, will tell us a little bit about the team. But it's just too early in the season to see what's going on. I'm actually kind of happy that that the at least the bullpen has gotten off to a decent start minus one in particular person that I will remain (laughs) nameless.
0: (laughs) Oh, Vince Velasquez always makes an appearance. Archie Bradley. How did you know? Archie Bradley out three to four weeks with an oblique strain. That's obviously going to be a problem. It is, but
1: I think Jojo is going to step in and and not, I don't think they're going to lose a a beat with Jojo in there instead. I mean, and, and I think it makes them stronger if, if Archie back Bradley comes back healthy in three to four weeks, I think that that's going to make the bullpen even stronger than it is. And I think that the person that you named may be the
0: odd man out who ends up down in Allentown. Center field continues to be an issue. Uh, Really a little bit of confusing news this week. Uh, Adam Hazley placed on the restricted list and left the team for personal reasons uh not really much more information about that we've talked to him a few times interviewed him for the minor league show we, we wish him well hope everything's okay um for now roman quinn has been struggling so your starting center fielder tonight for tonight's game is mickey moniac your thoughts on what's going on with center field right now for this team i'm
1: kind of excited to see that happen uh i mean look do i do i think he's ready for a starring role on this team probably not Um, But we've watched him, you know, you and I have gotten to watch him evolve as a player, as a person over the last few years, and it'll be kind of exciting to see him out there. And again, this is a guy who's going to fit in right now, probably to the eight slot, right? So if he can play good defense, which I think he is a good defender, I'm not too worried about it.
0: You concerned at all with the struggles of the lineup to start the season, particularly the strikeout rate, they've struck out 109 times in 397 played appearances. That's 27.5% average. Last year, their strikeout rate was 21.6. The league average entering play Wednesday was 24.2. No, so I'm not worried about struggles. that. You're not worried about that?
1: Mm-mm. Look, I, I'm, I am never someone that worries about offense before you get to May. Mm-hmm. Offense comes after defense. And it comes after pitching. And so we've watched this even through the years with Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins and Chase Sutley and Shane Victorino. April was just, not, it's not hitting weather. And when you get to hitting weather, if the same thing happens, then I'll worry. But I'm not going to worry now. That's why if they can tread water right now and they can start to develop some momentum, once it gets warmer in Philadelphia, this is a team that can hit.
0: Well, we're about to bring on a guest that could certainly hit when it was hitting weather. His all new, the time. His new book is called "Cobra: A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood." We are thrilled to be joined by two-time World Series champion, seven-time MLB All-Star Dave Parker. Dave, thanks for the time. How are you doing today?
4: Doing good. And you?
0: Ah, uh, we're we're doing very well. We're thrilled to get a chance to talk to you about this book, about your career hop right into it why did you decide now was the time to open up and tell this story about yourself
4: well i uh, tried to write a book some years ago when i first started reaching prominence in uh, baseball i tried to write one early but i never got around to it and people have always wrote about me and what they their thoughts of me were and I wanted to do something to let people know what Dave Parker's about from Dave Parker.
1: Dave, we we all know so much about Dave Parker, but you learn so much more from your perspective um, through this book. What was the main mission that you had? What did you most want to get out in, in writing this book?
4: Well, the, the relationships. I uh, played with a club in Pittsburgh that was really tight, tight knit ball club. We uh, played together, and we did everything together. So I wanted people to kind of take in a look at the relationships because good friendship brought on wins on the on the ball field, and. Uh, We did that extremely
1: well. What did you learn? the pirates were your first team, um, as the team that you became a ball player on the relationships, you had the development of one of the iconic teams of, of baseball, what did you learn most about those relationships? And what have you taken with you off of the field from those
4: relationships? Well, man, the relationships we had brought on championships because we were a tightly knit ball club that did everything together. We were one of the clubs that if you went out to dinner after a day game in Chicago, you have fifteen players at the dinner table with you. You know, we we were just so close that. That made us unique.
0: You know, people talked about your size, your speed. I saw Pete Rose say that you ran so hard he could hear you running down the line. Um, but I saw you say that people said you were the next Roberto Clemente, but you just wanted to be the first Dave Parker. What was it like to, to set out to be yourself through all this and the challenges that you faced?
4: Well, I knew I had good ability, outstanding ability. I knew that I had all the tools to be a great player, and uh, everybody identified to Roberto. I mean, he was the great one, you know, and he was truly a great one. He was uh, the best player in the game during his time, and uh, I felt like I had the tools to be that type of player, and uh, I wanted to show that. I didn't I didn't want to have people misconstrue me as a player. I wanted to establish myself.
1: You were not only, in my opinion, as somebody who lived in Pittsburgh for a while, somebody that, that developed themselves as a, as a great player, but you developed your own personality, and we're not shy about it. Um, where did you get that from, and where did you get the confidence to, to kind of have that personality in a locker room that had so many, including Willie Stargell?
4: Well, Willie, he was uh, the stabilizer of that club. I mean, he uh, could come in and take, take over Tanner's job, and Tanner can go on vacation for a little while. Willie had that kind of leadership quality. And uh, Tanner was ideal for the ball club because he governed with one eye and one ear. He didn't hear everything. He didn't see everything. And I was unique in my own way because I was like a sergeant of arms. Uh, I was there. If somebody had problems dealing with a player, I would be the one to kind of go in and straighten things out.
0: You know, we, we talk about your personality. I saw Kenta Colby call you the Muhammad Ali of baseball. Uh, and you said, when you, have, when you talk, you have to back it up. He said about you, uh, you didn't admire what he'd done. You look forward to what he would do next. What was it like to, to talk a big game and, and then how difficult was it to actually back it up for you while you were out there? It, you made it look effortless from everything that I was able to see. How challenging was it to back up the talk that you brought to the field?
4: Well, it wasn't very hard. I uh, just took it up on myself to to do everything that I could do baseball-wise. And I had the five tools to do it. You know, I could throw, I could run, I could hit, hit for power, I could do all those things. So I just took it up on myself to fill in whatever the team needed.
0: You know, I mentioned Muhammad Ali. I saw a picture years later when you were with the Angels of you squaring off with him in the locker room. What was it like to get to actually meet him eventually?
4: I was hoping he didn't have no brain cramp and hit me in the jaw. You know, standing across from Ali, you know, I I didn't want him to forget that we were just taking a picture.
1: Well, to be fair, even if he hit you in the jaw, you had already had an experience where you where you had an incident with the Pirates where you were wearing some uh, equipment. Maybe you should have brought that with you. The oh, bow the face mask.
4: Yeah, it really came in handy. matter of fact, I broke my jaw playing against the Mets, and uh, I coached for a couple of years in the 90s, and I was coming from the batting cage, and the guy that broke my jaw was John Stearns. And uh, he's got his players with him. He's got about 10 guys with him. I got about 10 guys with me. And uh he was going to be cute and say, hey, Dave, how's that jaw coming? And I told him, I said, it's coming along fine. And I said, but I played 14 more years. What did you do? And uh, <laughs> Sterns was giving me the...
0: That's fantastic. Yeah,
1: Yeah. 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 Dave, you had had, uh, uh, a great relationship with with your teammates in Pittsburgh. You also had a complex relationship with the city itself. Uh, I remember you making the comment about Barry Bonds in the city of Pittsburgh and saying that Barry Bonds is outspoken. I think that the people of Pittsburgh felt it's a syndrome. If you've got to apologize for being successful, if you're successful, as well as Black and outspoken. as you look back, what, is, what do you consider your lasting legacy and relationship with the city of Pittsburgh?
4: Well, the city of Pittsburgh wants you to apologize for being successful, and that was something that I refused to do. Uh, I have uh, always put myself on the line. I told people what I was going to do prior to doing it. I predicted two bad titles. Uh, when the leaves turn brown, I'll be wearing the batting crown. Uh, one of my favorite. Uh, well, I got one that you really love. I used to use on Sunday. There's only three things for sure today: the, the sun's gonna shine, the wind's gonna blow, and Big Dave's gonna go four for four. Dave, I gotta Sunday. tell
1: you, Dave, I gotta tell you when that when we were first approached about having you on the show, I texted that quote to Jason <laughs> yes that was the first thing that he, he said to me he was he was very excited to to have you on about that so so Dave uh, you talked about uh Barry Bonds and and you being outspoken yesterday was Jackie Robinson day what did Jackie Robinson what? mean to you and what do you think about where baseball came from the Jackie Robinson moment to your generation to where it is now
4: Well, Jackie's the reason that we play I mean, Jackie did everything that he needed to do to be uh, in baseball as a black individual. And Jackie did things outside of baseball that was phenomenal. And without Jackie Robinson, baseball wouldn't be what it is.
0: So you you end up leaving the Mets and you go back home to Cincinnati to get to play for the Reds. What was it like to go back home, get healthy, and have the success you did with the Reds?
4: Well, everybody wanted to play for their hometown team. Every young player that I can think of, that was their goal. I, I'm going to play for the Reds one day. And uh, that gave me an opportunity to fulfill that goal. I came to Cincinnati, had an opportunity to play in front of my mother and father, my brothers and sisters, and fulfilled the dream of playing for the Reds. I did all that in one swoop. And uh, it was a thrill playing for the Reds. Uh, playing with Pete Rose. Eric Davis was a guy that I mentored, Barry Larkin. Paul O'Neill, you know, so I had a chance to play at home and mentor some of the best young talent that we had in baseball.
0: Pete Rose said you were like a father to some of the kids and he should have given you half his salary. And there's names like Eric Davis, Barry Larkin, as you went to Milwaukee, Gary Sheffield, who said you were the ultimate leader. You said they were like your sons. What was it for you about mentoring and teaching these new guys that was so special for you?
4: A lot of them kind of reminded me of myself, you know. And uh, mentoring Eric Davis was like actually me myself, having an outstanding ability, uh, just telling him what it takes to be uh, a star in the major leagues. You got to play hurt sometime. And that was something I tried to get across to him because he had about 4% body fat and world-class speed. And uh, I told him about how to to play and try to prevent from getting hurt, don't leave the, the ground as much as he were. So it's just little tips that I gave him. And uh, it ended up paying off.
1: You know, in addition to being a mentor and a great player, uh, You continue to be a community leader uh, and using your platform for good. Uh, It's something Jason and I talk about with guests all the time. You have the Dave Parker 39 Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about what drives you now to continue to use your platform to help other people?
4: Well, I got Parkinson's myself, and uh, when I first got involved, I was attending a banquet they they was having for a Parkinson's organization. So uh, I attended and spoke that night and the people came after me uh, again uh, to get involved and I chose to uh, do some fundraisers and I did golf tournaments, Uh, we did dances, Various things to generate revenue. And uh, the golf tournament is doing extremely well. We had one in October that did $48,000. And that was uh, the third the third time I had put it on. So I'm just trying to dig up some money for research. Maybe we'll get lucky, find a cure for it. And it will benefit a lot of people as well as myself.
0: The website, if people want to help you with that, is DaveParker39Foundation.com. The book is Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. It's available now. Dave Parker, thanks so much for giving us some time and for everything you've done for the game. Well, thank you. Jeff, that was a guy I, that you saw. You were a Pittsburgh guy. You you heard the Dave Parker stories, the the legendary things about him. It was fun for me to to really learn them. I I tell you all the time, I'm a younger guy with baseball. My memories are the mid '80s after sort of the prime of his career with Pittsburgh that you saw. That's pretty well, cool. Look, I
1: mean, anybody the the easy question to ask a guest like Dave Parker is about the throw. Okay, so. I mean, went, when you and I talked about it, I sent you a link to a video of, of his all-star game throw, which, which was this laser Amazing. from right field to home plate. Um, throw it out. And and that was the epitome of Dave Parker. was was It was all, every tool of the game he had, he was that good. And I will, you can, there is nobody that can convince me that Dave Parker doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. If you look at his stats, he stacks up against anyone, and he was dominant for his generation of the game, and he he was so much larger than the game. We didn't even get a chance to talk to him. He was the first
0: million-dollar-a-year athlete, and he was resented for that. I mean, let's be honest. That was part of the problem with Pittsburgh for players. He said with Barry Bonds, they want you to apologize for the success. And yeah. And unfortunately
1: it wasn't just Pittsburgh. No. Yeah. There's
0: a lot of that in sports. People Mm -hmm. resent the money that they make. They say that you should compare it to something else all the time. And in terms of hall of fame, he did not receive enough votes in 2019 for the modern era ballot. He is eligible again in 2022. He'll be in.
1: There's no way if you're going to have a legitimate Hall of Fame, he's got to be in it.
0: There's no excuse. And yes, it's not the, his on-field play that keeps him out of the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, but it but he he wasn't both morals
0: and judgments about actions.
1: Right, they, but it but it's not something. It wasn't a performance-enhancing thing at all. And and so oh, took
0: away from his performance exactly.
1: Um. So so he belongs in. But but the book itself is is you know, more than about the player. It, it is about, you know, how many times have we talked to athletes and they talk about the thing they missed most is the
0: relationships. That, that is his book. His mm-hmm. book is, is about the relationships he made through the game, not about the games, not about, you know, yes, he talks a big game with his stats and that's who he was as a player, but you could see, and that's what he said to you that this was about talking about the relationships that he had.
1: Yeah. And, and, and who bettered it? to talk about it than a guy who was part of a team that was called we are family. I mean, the
0: one thing I didn't ask him about, I wanted to ask him what it was like in that 89 world series when they had the earthquake game with San Francisco.
1: Yeah. Look, you, you could have him on. He had such a long career with so many teams that had so many character that in it. I mean, he was surrounded by that. I mean,
0: him playing with Willie Stargell, he
1: played from he Willie
0: Stargell to the game that Kirk Gibson had the walk off home run to, to Mark McGuire guys. and Jose Canseco, whatever you think of them. Eric Davis and Barry Largan with Pete Rose as his coach. I mean, he spanned some players that he worked with and played with through the years. Yeah. And that John Stern story is classic. It's, it's, <laughs> you, you just love his comments that he makes. It's good stuff. And, Where and, you want to go?
1: Well, just and so people don't know. It, he was not set up to say that quote, but I, but I, a month ago, I said, I, I texted you that specific quote. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, why don't we, we're not going to go flyers. They're just, there's the flyers. You want to go golf? No, I want to finish with some basketball. Okay. Um, Alex Rodriguez bought the Timberwolves this week, Jeff, Who? Uh, that's what apparently the reaction of Wolves player, Anthony Edwards was, he didn't know who Alex Rodriguez was. How, how do you not know? Oh, granted he's, he's young, but
1: how do you not know? I At mean, it's for JLo. Don't you know who he is? It's not John Stearns. It it's a rod. And, and while I personally don't like a rod because of the things that he did to the game and compromised the game. He was considered one of the great players of his generation, which was not a generation from the 1970s, by the way. So how does he not know who he is? And just as you said, how does he not know from Instagram and stuff like that with
0: J-Lo? Where is he? I Uh, know he's in Minnesota. (laughs) Something else went wrong with this announcement, Jeff. What is it? There are reports that ESPN wasn't terribly thrilled with how this went down because their baseball commentator did not tell their basketball guy that he was playing well, that, well that's just amusing i mean <laughs> you imagine the reaction when the news gets out there it's like you couldn't have told us <laughs>
1: yeah like if you're gonna break
0: news on a breaking news sports station you probably should give it to them dwayne wade buying ownership in the jazz your thoughts on players taking ownership stakes now we've seen grant hill Shaq. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson previously at a 4% stake. What's your thought on these players now vying into leadership and ownership of teams? Good or bad? It's good. How could it be bad? I
1: mean, how great is it to have players who know the game involved in ownership and also to provide people with opportunities? Part of, you know, we talk all the time about coaches and how hard it is for minorities to get coaching jobs. The way that people advance is by seeing people like themselves. And if you have more owners that look like Dwayne Wade, that look like Michael Jordan, it levels the playing field and gives people more opportunities and teaches young kids that they can look up to them and say, oh, I don't just want to be like an athlete. I want to be like an owner.
0: About a minute left on the show, Jeff. There is some criticism this week for, as we approach the end of the basketball season, the play-in tournament that they're going to have. Uh, First, Luca Doncic said, I
1: don't This is how we're going to end the show with Mark Cuban and Luka Doncic whining.
0: Yes, Yes, we are. Is it whining? Is this a team that's going to end up in the seven or eight spot and doesn't want to have to play more games? Who cares?
1: Seriously, who cares? Okay. Just play. Profound. You're You're getting paid. Stop whining about this stuff. You had a chance to have your voice when they did this. This is the way it is. Now play.
0: By the way, I'm not going to talk flyers, but the NHL has a COVID problem. Uh, the Canucks haven't played in like two oh, and the a can, weeks.
1: The Canucks have COVID Well, problems.
0: now Colorado, their next three games are off with the Kings. They have three people who are entering protocol. So NHL has got to watch that. Uh, they're, they're certainly having problems. 15 seconds, Jeff, any final thoughts? Anything profound you'd like to say before we go off the air?
1: No, I'm just looking forward to Sunday and seeing the, the union play the Columbus crew as their first game.
0: Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.